Welcome to the FX Big Picture podcast. This is a series of podcasts where we will discuss a wide variety of topics and provide a rather different perspective on serving UK customers at NatWest. My name is Duncan McCabe uh, from our UK corporate FX sales team. Today, I am joined by Neil Parker, our FX market strategist, and James Newman from our institutional FX sales team. If you don't already, please follow NatWest Corporates and Institutions on LinkedIn and Twitter to keep up to date with our latest content. Today's topic is uh, what might cause central banks to not hike rates and what are the risks to policy expectations? So the, the last decade has seen a period of low interest rates in major economies. There have been occasions where central banks have threatened to hike and haven't. So Neil, I'm going to hand over to you first. Um, to give some examples of where this occurred. Thanks, Duncan. I mean, I think the most obvious one is with the UK Bank of England. And, and really that became more and more troubling with regard to forward guidance because the, the, the bar was, for whatever reason, completely focused on levels of unemployment and what level of unemployment would start to trigger higher levels of domestically generated inflation. And clearly, the the assessment on that was completely wrong for whatever reason. So consequently, we had a number of occasions back in 2012, 2013, 2014, where it looked as if the Bank of England was set to raise interest rates only to then disappoint those those expectations. And markets did get that clearly wrong on several occasions. It looked like we were being taken to the well. It looked like this was the time. um, And each time the Bank of England backed away because other fundamental factors, particularly the domestic inflation figures, didn't justify an interest rate rise. And um, and I think the, the one other thing is, I mean, I'm deeply concerned by the idea of forward guidance in any case. I mean, it, it potentially leads to a focus on one set of, uh, of economic factors rather than a more general overview of uh, an, econo- an economy's performance. Uh, and in particular, the, the, the media will latch on to these sorts of things and they will potentially mislead, not deliberately, but just by their own misinterpretation of what's being said, markets and, and those who participate in markets. So, so certainly post-financial crisis, I think we've seen uh, repeated mistakes being being made, um, repeated misinterpretations being made with regard to the timing of of rate increases, or indeed just the, the the probability of a rate increase that is built into market expectations. Um, I think what, one other area where markets get it wrong is that markets are are finding it difficult to predict the turn as to when uh, interest rates, which might be increasing or might be falling when they might start to, to, to rise again and the timing of any rate rises. Um, it, it, that's probably pertinent to this conversation because that's what we're really looking at now. We're, we're, we've got interest rates on the floor. Where do they go from here? Well, they're going to go up. But when they're going to go up, I think is still a, a much more open question than perhaps the, the, the markets are uh, allowing it to be because they're pricing it so far into the future 
um, that the financial markets, or at least some financial markets, are really paying little attention to any changes that we're seeing in economic data. This all makes it very problematic for central bankers, and to be honest, I don't envy the job of them. Um, if, you, if you go back to your point about forward guidance, even in normal business cycles, normal political cycles, it was somewhat difficult for central bankers to indicate when they were looking to hike or cut rates. Uh, and in an environment where there are lots of arguably transitory forces, both on the inflation side, also supply side constraints, arguably the crisis we are in, um, and the outcomes from it are supply rather than demand driven, it's been more difficult for central bankers to actually indicate to the market um, and other participants what uh, what they are expecting or what they're planning on doing. It, in, in, in and combined with that, you've also got a lot of uh, political differences between various economies. <laughs> for example, the UK furlough scheme, how do these kind of fiscal easing allowing people to have a little bit of extra money in their pocket and how that is going to be spent by these individuals while they're not working. How do you factor that into central bank modeling, especially when you're looking, for example, in the case of the Bank of England at hikes now in 2023, moved back from the end of 2022. Um, between now and 2022, there's a lot of things that could happen. So it's, it's not necessarily clear that that that's going to come to fruition and therefore how do you actually structure forward guidance around that without saying basically very little yeah i mean i mean actually mm. I, I i would say in some cases central banks should say nothing um and and the example i would use is the reserve bank of new zealand recently you know they were going to to raise interest rates they'd given signals that they were going to raise interest rates they then had something that was completely beyond their control happen which was they had a first case of, of covid in new zealand which led to a nationwide lockdown they've now got more cases of covid um, that are uh, uh, being discovered but the reserve bank of new zealand issued a statement saying look we still intend to raise rates well, why would you do that? Why would you? Why would you potentially have to issue a statement that you know could be rescinded? Um, when what you could issue is a, a holding statement saying we will assess conditions as they materialise. The idea that you're going to be in control of this situation in six weeks' time, when you weren't in control of it within a day of your meeting the last time. I, I think says the best thing for a central bank to do is literally not issue that statement that says we're still intending to raise rates because you are leading the markets to a false conclusion um, that they that they will be on top of the situation and therefore everything will be normal but by the time they meet in September or, or, or early October. So I think with regard to, to things like the Reserve Bank of, of New Zealand, amongst other central banks, the best thing to do is just hold the line as far as, uh, as um, the situation is concerned. And, and in this case, just say nothing or, or, or say something very bland, rather than pre-committing yourself to uh, an action that you're probably going to have to um, reverse course on. This is really problematic because it's arguably questioning or bringing into question your own credibility. And this has been a problem for central banks over the last well, number of years. So a roundabout term from the RBNZ, what does that do to undermine potential further or future statements that they make regarding rate hike paths or, or easing or to, to that front? 
I mean, if, if, if we turn to a different central bank, the, the Fed, the, the, the US Fed, um, there's, there's a lot of focus there from market participants regarding not just um, hiking rates, but also tapering, uh, which is to be seen as um, if, if you're considering a, a bath full of water, turning off the tap slightly. So the tap is still on, but it's being turned off. So the water's still being filled. And we're discussing at the moment whether this is going to be September, November, December, when they start to turn down the tap. Now, on the rate hike side, it's not necessarily clear whether it's a when question or an if question. There's many market participants now coming around to the, the question that in a year's time, it may not be appropriate to raise rates. There may not be an appropriate time to raise rates. And having guidance around that, I, I think, is, is, is arguably going to come to a point for the Fed chariot, whether it's Powell or someone else. Um, difficult and they may actually have to make some difficult choices regarding what they do say on forward guidance or they so could sorry, drop it all together yeah it was very i think it, clearly the clearly the balance is um is stability versus credibility um or uh, with you know forward guidance intended to um to provide that um that, that's that smoothness when when changes are are made um but then as we have seen and and already discussed, the the game uh, can change very quickly, and many factors outside of that control can can alter um, alter policy decisions uh, quite markedly. So, we what are the what are the big risks then in in the short term? We've we've talked about the conundrum, but. What, what what are the big risks in the next in the next year going you know back end of 2021 early 2022 that can can change this the biggest one clearly still covid but you know we don't know how that's going to manifest itself you know how will that evolve if you get uh, a, a new sort of surge in cases and hospitalizations and deaths uh, in any of the major economies then uh, that will prompt a um, a reassessment as far as central banks are concerned about the, the the best time to withdraw the stimulus but the other factor here is and we've seen it you know we've had uh, things happening over the course of recent days recent weeks you know the, the amount of fiscal support that's in the system this time around versus going back to the financial crisis and how long that will stay in the system for i think is is going to um have an influence and be a uh, potential challenge to central banks as far as what is appropriate with regard to withdrawing monetary policy support. You've got Joe Biden and the White House administration pumping in $4 trillion plus into the US economy over the course of multiple years. Equally, at the same time, they're going to be raising taxes. We don't know how that will, will manifest itself as far as higher prices are concerned, in terms of higher or lower activity is concerned. You know, all of that, that those sort of factors are going to be something that the Federal Reserve is going to be monitoring. Um, and potentially having to respond to more quickly than is currently factored in to market expectations. Um, equally, we don't know which, we're not clear as to which route central banks favour 
Um, and we're not clear on that because we don't know how things like inflation will will evolve. Now, I'm pretty convinced that if inflation proves to be more permanent than it is temporary, then it will be the path of rate hikes that will be chosen rather than reducing the level of asset purchases because they know that that's a sledgehammer that will be more effective in terms of driving down inflation and inflation expectations. Um what inflation are we talking about here? I mean, the whole point with the, the well, US and other fiscal stimulus is, is that they've drastically affected various markets. Is it going to be holistic inflation uh, across the border? Are we seeing differences? For example, are we actually going to ever see wage inflation? Are we going to see asset price inflation? And that brings into question, again, fiscal policy or at least macro prudential measures of governments to... Uh, to look at the question of equality and inequality there. Do you then hike if employment is at all-time highs, but you're seeing significant um, inflation, but it's constrained to, um, for example, used cars? There's been huge surges in used cars in various um, governments' metrics in terms of their CPI basket. And, And I think that's what's been the problem with COVID. Forecasting these things has been very difficult because fiscal stimulus and money saved has been spent on things that are ne- aren't necessarily inside the kind of normal basket, as you would call it, of, of goods that one one buys. And, and, and to Neil's point about a, a surging cases, if they did, or if the world did see a, a second variant or something else that is arguably worse than Delta, what would the responses there be from governments and how would that fiscal stimulus, if they were to do it again, um, filter through the system? It's, it's not necessarily clear, which, again, to our earlier point, makes, makes, it makes the point that central bankers have a very difficult job on their hands at the moment. I mean, just going back to the point about inflation, and we've tackled this on previous podcasts, there is a there's a clear disconnect between the inflation that we've seen over the course of the last decade or so, which has been predominantly asset price inflation, versus the inflation that we were attuned to 20, 30, 40 years ago, which was predominantly consumer or retail price inflation. You know, and and the, the consumer and retail price inflation was down to a lack of supply. Now, we have a lack of supply in certain subsets or sectors of economies. You have a lack of supply, for example, in the UK at the moment, in parts of the labour market. And that's probably not going to be short term. That's probably going to be more medium term at at, at the very least. But the commodity side of inflation that we're, we're seeing at the moment is a rebound from much lower levels of commodity prices that we were seeing in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic. Now, it has taken commodity prices to a level that, that is above the pre-pandemic levels, but we could easily see that then stabilising and coming off over the course of uh, the, the coming months and quarters. But I, I think it's the labour market that potentially creates a much greater challenge for central banks. The labour market, which has, has, uh, has been flush with supply over the course of Recent uh, uh, recent decades now no longer is the case. It's no longer the case that you've got this this huge uh, supply potential supply of of labour um, that is prepared to come live and work within your economy. 
Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. And that's particularly evident in things like construction, in manufacturing, even in the hospitality sectors uh, as well. And, and, and that actually leads to more uh, supply side push inflation, uh, you know, cost push inflation rather than demand pull. I think in terms of those points, I think this is incredibly prevalent in the UK, where unfortunately political factors, um, uh, a word that we hate to use, Brexit, um, has meant that um, by a number of metrics, one to two and a half million people have have, have not been eligible or have left um, over this period for work or other related reasons. And those are significant numbers. And, and to Neil's point, they're uh, they are have a heavy skew towards construction, um, the hospitality sector, leisure, uh, and you, you consistently see uh, as you walk around cities that people are demanding um, employees to work to start ASAP. Um, so these these supply related issues are problematic and even more problematic in a world in which businesses haven't been performing particularly well. Demand is still relatively muted. And they're trying to come back from a, a period of, in which they weren't able to sell their wares in many cases. Um, and how do you, again, factor this back into central bank policy? It's mm. not clear because hiking rates um, on one hand may, may quash some of the inflation, but also it's going to make lending rates higher for businesses that are looking to potentially expand or at least take loans to cover some of the losses that they've had over the last year. Uh, absolutely. It's um so then, then as what it from what it from what it seems from um from your your both your points, the central banks may may have their hands forced for rate rises if there is a prolonged structural period of, of inflation and and that would be more on the rate high side rather than the balance sheet management. Uh, what um in terms of asset class um, behaviors um, as a consequence of changing these policies, um, whether rate hikes or uh, or even th- for guidance for a rate hike and, th- and then not delivering, what 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 impacts will will that have in in your view, Neil, for um, for other asset classes? I'm I'm thinking about uh, equity markets, but but then obviously going really close to home with with foreign exchange markets. Yeah, I mean, with FX markets, you, you would have to ask the question about wh- whether we've again sort of thrown the, the the US dollar on the scrap heap too too quickly, because the dollar does provide that that sort of element of stability um, during uncertain times, um, and so I, I think the dollar, if for example we were to see bond yields increasing and equity markets lower i think that would that would potentially drive uh businesses and uh, and individuals back in, in into the dollars and certainly um from 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 where we were only a month or so ago when it looked as if sterling and the euro were going to head even higher to where we are now where both sterling and the euro look as if they're under a bit of pressure again um, I think that that does indicate that the the markets are less confident about the potential progress that's going to be made in this economic upturn. You know whether or not it will be um, unchallenged. I, I mean, I, I 
I think they've they've now assumed that there will be some potential challenge coming in late 2021 or early 2022 to that narrative from possibly a new variant on COVID, possibly, a, you know, just the Delta variant won't go away um, and, and has a negative influence on a, a broader sphere of economies. Um, and, and that could see equity markets softening as well. You know, you could see equity markets softening into, into year end, just again on that challenge. But going back to, to sort of previous points, we're not really talking about central bank action there. We're talking about things that are beyond the sphere of influence of central bank. There's, the central bank response to that, I can't see the central banks really responding um, particularly aggressively um, to uh, another wave of COVID with more asset buying, because I don't think it's really going to make that much difference. So they will be reliant upon governments um, to provide the bulk, if not all, of the response to a resurgence in COVID. And their response is, is going to be more that they'll sit on their hands for longer. Um, but it will just push the timing of any rate rise out even further. Yeah. And and for institutional investors, this whole landscape makes investing and trading these markets even more difficult um, than they were in previous years. The uncertainty, both on the fiscal and the monetary side, looking at when governments are going to potentially hike rates, when they're going to turn off the taps, is, is not perplexing, but it's very difficult to navigate both inside of FX and also equity and fixed income asset classes. Um, in FX specifically, a lot of previously held correlations have broken down. Um, general trends and, and, and breakouts in, from ranges in which normal investors would potentially go along with uh, haven't worked. And so what this has meant is lower volumes, less participation, and, and, and arguably a lot of the vol supply hasn't been bought, which, which has been counterintuitive that more uncertainty should normally mean higher vol, but in reality, it's actually meant lower vol um, due to that demand supply metric on the vol side. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely spot on there in terms of that the... Um, uh, the reaction has been, well, I won't participate rather than, oh, well, I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll just accept that, uh, you know, Vol might not be reacting in the way that I want it to. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to get involved in this. I'm not going to try and pick the turn. I'm not going to stand in front of the freight train and get run over um, as, as the markets plunge ever, ever lower in terms of Vol. Um, and, I, and I think the other thing is, is that central bank activity, I don't think is going to really drive higher vol. I can't see that happening. I can't see that there's going to be that much of a surprise. I don't think the market is going to be that bothered about what happens on, uh, on the asset purchase program. So that's not going to drive higher vol. Um, I think the, the, the market surprises that we're actually talking about is only if central banks start to get afraid um, because what they're seeing is more permanent and less temporary inflation. And predominantly that, I think, is going to be coming from, from wages and earnings, and it's not going to be coming from, from consumer price inflation. Um, and that is the thing that I think would trigger earlier and more aggressive rate increases. We have mm. seen other central banks, like in places like Latin America, for example, raising rates. You, ha you have seen the likes of... Um, Mexico, Brazil, etc., raising rates. 
And that has been in general as a response to higher inflation rates that they feel are um, certainly not in keeping with sound monetary management, whereas Mm. we've seen very high rates of headline inflation and core inflation in the US and the Federal Reserve just, again, shrugging their shoulders and saying we're prepared to accept that for the time being. Well, thanks, Neil. I think this... um you know, just to, to summarise what we've what we've discussed today, it's uh, it's far from a, an easy puzzle to solve. We've got um, you know challenges and the balance between stability and credibility, um, you know, hikes and balance sheet management, and you know countering asset price inflation or asset price um, asset prices, uh, inflation. And um, and then all these other external factors, which can, yeah, you know, ultimately uh, cause action or potentially inaction, and therefore, I think it's going to be a very very interesting next twelve months. And um, I think that it's it's clear that there are when there is a consensus, it's worth just picking through some some finer detail and, and understanding why. There might be an alternative uh, to well, it, things are never a dead cert, basically. So yeah, if I could, if, if I could just just make it my own conclusion from this, like this time around, um, compared with the financial crisis when there was still significant uncertainty, but there were other driving forces behind that uncertainty. This time around, I think the level of uncertainty is even higher, and it's higher because central banks are. Are being influenced by things that are not within their, their their sort of sphere of knowledge, and consequently, you know, they're more likely to uh, react uh, and and have to react to events overtaking them than they were in previous cycles. When, as James described it, things looked more normal. You know, it was a normal economic cycle. It was a normal demand supply function. Um, that was operating this time around, they're not in control and they're not in control because this is predominantly healthcare related, uh, healthcare related emergency rather than something that's been created by oversupply or over demand. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, James. And um, thank you all for uh, listening, watching, and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon.